Hey, let's take a moment and just pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome You here this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, we welcome You into this place. Father God, we welcome You today. Uh, Lord, as we gather together to celebrate uh, Easter, to celebrate uh, Your resurrection, Jesus. Father, as we dig into Your Word this morning, allow us just to hear clearly from You. Lord, let Your Word come. Let it pierce our hearts. Let it transform us. We thank You, Lord. Lord, break off any distractions that we may have brought in here that prevent us hearing clearly from You. We welcome You here this morning. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Happy Easter, everyone. You know, um, Easter week's usually a busy week for many of us. Uh, it, it's, there's all kinds of things going on. I remember uh, when my kids were little, and if you've have had little ones or have little ones, you probably uh, it's been a busy week. You're coloring Easter eggs and, and uh, doing events and putting baskets together and all that other crazy stuff as we get up to today. Uh, luckily, my kids are old now, so they don't expect Easter baskets, right? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, but, but, you know, doing all that stuff. And then Easter Sunday comes around. I'm always amazed at Easter Sunday here because we dress up. Um, you know, James came in his suit this morning, and, and I feel kind of funny about myself now. But we all seem to dress up on Easter. We take it a little bit more serious. You're probably rushing out of here today. You probably have a, a brunch to go to or doing dinner, or maybe you're having family over at your house and trying to get everything prepared. Um, and Easter is just tends to be a little chaotic. Now, it's not as busy as Christmas is. That's by far a lot busier for many of us. But, but Easter can seem hectic. This week can seem hectic. And as I was preparing for today, um, one question just kept popping into my head over and over and over. What's so important about Easter? What's so important? about today? You know, that seems like an odd question. Um, and and you're, you're thinking, well, we're in church. You know, Jesus rose from the dead today. We know why Easter is important. But, but in reality, I, I think as we look around uh, what I'll call popular Christianity, asking what's so important about Easter is actually a quite valid question. Because it seems to me like Good Friday should be the focus, right? It should be more important. We talk a lot about the power of the cross, about forgiveness of sins, about, about getting into heaven, about the blood of Christ forgiving our sins so that we can be reconciled with God. And that tends to be the focus of our faith, and rightfully so. But because of that, many of us have this idea that it's all about one day going somewhere, getting to heaven, getting out of here. Maybe even floating around with harps on clouds or something like that. It's all about what happens when we die. And if that's the case, then what's so big about the resurrection? For the early church, it was very different. Consider the level of persecution that the early church went through for the first 300 years of its existence. You know, why were they being persecuted? Were they being persecuted because they believed their, their sins were forgiven and good things would happen to them when they died? You think that was a threat to the, to the Roman Empire? This idea that, that, oh, when they die, good things will happen. That's not a threat. That's not much. 
No, they were persecuted not because they believed in the forgiveness of sins. They were persecuted because they preached that Jesus was still alive. That Jesus was still alive. You need to understand, that's incredibly important. John, in in chapter 20 of his Gospel, right near the end, as he's beginning to wrap things up, he says this in verse 31, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That you may have life. Kind of an odd statement to put at the end of the Gospel. He didn't say that that you may know about the forgiveness of sins. He didn't say that that hopefully one day you get to go to heaven. He didn't even say that you would get to walk in victory. He said that you would have life. 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 I wonder if that's the general belief today. I wonder if that's the idea that most of us have. This idea that we could have life and have it now. That we could experience life now. And I would speculate that that for many, the answer is no. There's this general belief that runs through the church that everything we do now is about the afterlife, about preparing for the afterlife. And, And that's not just the focus of Christianity. That's the focus of most religions around the world. The things you do today prepare you for what happens in the afterlife. We see that in Islam. We see that in in, in Hinduism. We see that in Buddhism. Now, the afterlife looks different in all of those different religions. But that's the whole focus, is what happens when you die. And I think some of that thought has crept into us. There's a lot of of, of Greek thought in our our society as we look at how we think that, that our, our beings are. We have this idea that somehow, way, we're split into these two different ideas. That we have this flesh, and then there's a spiritual part of us. And one day, one day, our spirit will be set free from the flesh that's within us, and we'll get to go hang with God. Hollywood really loves that idea. Remember the movie Ghost? Remember? Yeah. Hollywood loves that idea. And that idea has crept into the flesh. But the problem with that is that's not the Gospel. That's not what what following Jesus is about. See, we walk around and we get the sense that God only really cares about us. When we focus that way, He only really cares about us once we're dead. He doesn't really have a whole lot of, of, of thought for us now, but everything He's done is just to prepare us for once we die. How, do we, how does Jesus get us through judgment? Jesus, Jesus, He teaches something totally different. Totally different. Matthew chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says this, but about the resurrection of the dead, Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God of the living. God is the God of the living, not the dead. And that begins to give us some insight 
into God and the importance of Easter in our lives and what it means to be a follower of Christ. If God is the God of the living, then perhaps this faith is not just about what happens when we die, but instead, perhaps this is about what's supposed to happen while we're alive. There's a wonderful parable in in John chapter 10. It's the parable of of, uh, the Good Shepherd. And most of us have heard this and most of us know this. Jesus calls Himself the Good Shepherd. He says, my sheep know my name. He protects His sheep. His sheep know what gate to walk through. And we read that and we get this heaven imagery, right? That the gate is somehow heaven and that sheep hear His name and they'll come to heaven. And the other sheep don't don't get to go into heaven because they don't know His name. But at the end of that parable, Jesus says something really interesting in verse 7. He says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life and life to the full. Not about a future destination, but about a present reality. It's not just simply that one day we get to go to heaven. It's not just somehow, some way, if we do the right things, we get to avoid hell. Now, all of those are true. But that's not the reason for our faith. That's not the reason that we are here today. It's because in Jesus, we know that we can have life. And we can have it to the fullness. And the early church got this. They understood this because of Easter. They understood this because they saw the crucified Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you something that that might shake you up a bit. But Jesus wasn't the first crucified Messiah that came to Israel. There were a list of crucified Messiahs. Rome was good at dealing with Messiahs. They They killed them. People would raise up And and they they would gather a crowd around them and they would say, we're going to bring freedom to Israel and Rome would arrest them and nail them and kill them. See, a crucified Messiah is a failed Messiah. Because once the leader of a revolt, the leader of a freedom fighting group is dead, what happens to the group? They scatter. They scatter. Crucified Messiah historically is a failed Messiah. But this was not just simply a crucified Messiah. This was a living Messiah. And there was an understanding of that because of the resurrection. Because Christ was no longer dead. Jesus rose from the dead, was currently alive. And because of that, they understood that anything, anything was possible The Romans tried to kill him, but they couldn't because God rose him from the dead. And if God can do that, then he could do anything. He can do anything. The reason the church was crucified was because of three simple words. Words that we say all the time and don't even think about. Jesus is Lord. You know the church stole that, by the way. 
The original phrase was Caesar is Lord. But for the early church, they said that Jesus had risen from the dead. That Caesar, Caesar tried to kill him, but he rose from the dead. Therefore, he is Lord over everything. This was a radical statement. This is rebellion against the empire. That's why they were because not that they believed in a crucified Savior who somehow might get them to heaven when they died, but they believed in a living Messiah who was still alive, who could, send, who could bring freedom today. Who could transform lives today. Who had more authority in their lives than Caesar. That's what drove them out. The belief that the king had come, that he was alive and he was calling his people into the kingdom. And through that, he was here to set his people free. And in light of all of that, consider how Paul describes what the faith looks like in Romans chapter 8. He says this in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who, it is God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was their motivation. That was their message. Not of a dead Messiah, but of a living King who could set His people free from bondage. That's the message that they went to the world with. That there was a kingdom greater than whatever they were experiencing today. And that same message is here for us now. That same message is true for us today. We've spent the first half of this year, uh, if you've been with us, doing a spiritual health check, right? We've gone over the different parts of our body and, and looked at them in spiritual ways. Talked about the mind, who is our first, or our heart, who is our first love. We talked about our mind, and, and are we allowing Christ to, 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 to work in our mind? Are we in His Word? We talked about our mouth, are we speaking words of life to one another? We looked at everything. And as we were going through all of that, I hope that a question really kind of arose within you. And that, that's simple. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Easter helps us answer that question. Because if, if our faith is just about getting into heaven, if it's just about getting, a, getting out a hell-free card, 
If it's all about that, then we're going to have this bunker mentality. It's going to hang on and get through all of this one way or another. We just bunker down. Get to the end. That's our only hope. We start looking at things and, and some of our rights become important because, you know, the world's against us. We've got to fight for everything we have. This is all about us. Or maybe if it's just establishing the kingdom, you know, the reign and the rule of the church, then we get more aggressive. We don't bunker down. We move forward. You know, we've got to change things so that we get the preferential treatment, so that we get everything we want. We start depending upon what we can do to establish our kingdom. As we look throughout history, we see examples of both. Heck, as we look around our society, we see examples of both. The apostles in the early church, they didn't either. They didn't either. You know, they didn't stay in the upper room. You ever think about that? They were safe in the upper room. I mean, nobody knew they were up in the upper room, right? The Romans weren't breaking down the door to go get them. The people weren't breaking down the door. They were safe up there. They could have just stayed in that upper room, you know, hunkered down a bit, called DoorDash to bring them food. They would have been good. Life would have been easy in the upper room. They didn't do that. They didn't take up arms and try to tear down Rome. They didn't look for political or parts or places of political power. They didn't try to legislate a change in the empire. They didn't do that. They didn't do any of that. Instead, they lived a very different reality. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 says this, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. See, that's the Easter reality that we live in. You have been given life. You've been given life. And we are called to share to give that life to others. You have been called to be the hope to the world because of what Christ has done for you and in you. That hope is supposed to go out into the world. And that is the challenge for us this Easter Sunday. The question as we go today is simple. How are we demonstrating that hope to the world? I read this article this week, actually yesterday. There was an article in the Washington Post that talked about how churches are closing all across the nation and churches are now wrestling with can they 
you know, sell off their assets to somehow affect their communities. And they were talking about, you know, doing social justice and all this other stuff. But what really interested me was the comments. You ever read comments? Comments are always funny, man. There's not one good comment about the church. You know that? There were like a thousand comments, and there was not one good comment about the church. Maybe the church should have been doing good before they shut down. This is why we need to tax the church. This is why all religion needs to die. Those were the comments. That's how the world sees us, guys. That's how they see us. They see us in this idea that we're just in this for ourselves. But the joy of Easter is that Jesus has come, that Jesus is risen, that He is alive. And He is here to give us life. And life to the fullest. Not life that we just hold on to. Not life that we just just keep for ourselves, but a hope, a life that we are supposed to give to others. We have the hope for the world. We have the hope for the world. And the hope for the world isn't our kingdom, it's Christ's kingdom. I always find it amazing that the first evangelists were the women. That they went out. Luke's Gospel's blunt. They went out, they told the disciples what they saw, and the disciples thought they were nuts. And some of you women are looking at me like, okay, you can understand that one. They saw something that was amazing. And their first response was to go and tell others, to share it with the people who are in their lives. And so as we go today, we are the ones who have experienced God's love. We are the ones who have experienced God's life. We are the ones who experienced His hope. We are the ones who are walking in life and life everlasting. So how are we demonstrating that? How do you demonstrate that hope to your friends and your family? How are you speaking life into them? How are you demonstrating that to our community? Calvary's a hard place. But we have hope. How do we demonstrate that? How are you demonstrating? How are you demonstrating that to those who aren't like us, who don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us? Those who are far away from God. The hope that we have found in Easter, the hope of the resurrection is life and life to its fullest. And that's the hope that we should be giving away. So as you go today, here's the challenge I have for you. Instead of thinking, how do I hunker down? Instead of thinking, how do I forcibly change the world to my liking? Ask this, how do I give hope? How do I give hope to my neighbor who is struggling, who 
who can't make his finances, his or her finances work, whose children uh, they can't figure out how to raise. How do I give hope to the single mom who is next door? How do I give hope to my co-workers, to my, the, my fellow students? How do I demonstrate hope? Because we're called to be a community of hope. That's the, def- the defining image of what the church should be. How do we give hope? So as you see, as you go, as you see those who aren't like us, who don't think the way we do, who don't act the way we do, who don't look the way we do, maybe think a bit about Paul, who became all things to all people so that some could experience that hope in Christ. Because that's the call for us in Easter Sunday. Let's stand in prayer. Holy Spirit, welcome you here, Lord. Lord Jesus, we, we, we just come together this Easter Sunday to remember your resurrection, not as a past event, but as a present reality. And Lord, our desire is to experience that hope, that life, that life in its fullness in our own life. Give it away. Lord Jesus, we just pray. Lord, begin uh, today just to begin to transform us, to change us. Give us that heart of the early church. Allow us to experience you.